Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Hawks Insiders podcast, our player ratings pod. My name is Daniel Prins. Uh, and I am joined by my co-host, Andrew Weiss. We are back from hiatus, the two of us, and the B team is in the chair tonight. Despite some reviews, Andrew, how are you? How was the break? And are you psyched to get back into it? Yeah, thanks, Prinzi. Uh, doing well. I had a wonderful break. Managed to get to Giant Stadium for last week's match. And good to come back onto a podcast to talk about a win. Granted that we're not the two that the punters want to listen to, but hopefully given, you know, given the topic of content, which is beating North Melbourne, uh, I think they'll be happy enough with what we've got or I, majority I, of what we've yeah, got. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you can't have everything you want, right? So you want Ash and Daz or you want to win. You can only have one. Well, hopefully, so, uh, hopefully they take the win, but we we might get some of that feedback over the next twenty four hours. We'll see, we'll see. Let's get stuck into it. The Hawks got up over the roost for the second time this year after the win, the nineteen point win in round three, twelve sixteen eighty eight to six four. 40. Yes, you read that right. That's 28 scoring shots to 10 uh, and only a 48-point win. So um, while the win was good, I think they definitely left some something in the tank uh, in terms of their ability to really get a percentage booster. Not that the percentage booster is really going to help us this year, but um, the Hawks started the match in full control, we see, and um, and peppered without really doing any damage in that first quarter, um, but let the ruse off the hook and kept them in the game for longer than they deserved to be. It's uh, fair to say that the first half was a little bit frustrating. Yeah, frustrating is definitely the word, but I think there are a couple of different elements to take out of that. Prinzi, you and I are very, very similar. I'd, I'd say we're probably, we agree with each other more often than any of the, of the other guys in the group when it comes to um, just temperament and being still and perspective. And, you know, we got to half time, and obviously there's a, a clear frustration in our group and Stay, like, it was blowing up. Oh, it was it was going nuts, and and rightfully so in the context of I'd probably have been more upset if it was against a good side and we were wasting that chance to be absolutely. Fun. Yeah. But our pers- perspective was still okay. Well, as long as we win by ten goals instead of a hundred points, the positive is still that we dominated, like we absolutely dominated. And whilst it was led by the midfield, actually our back half and our front half did incredible jobs as well, notwithstanding the fact that we couldn't kick straight. So from a function, from a functional point of view, like we generally couldn't ask for more. Granted, it's against North Melbourne, but this was just the one win. This was the one win we needed. And as long as... You know, we did what we did in the second half, which at times wasn't pretty, but at times was beautiful. Um, yeah, happy enough to to bank it. 
and have, you know, another six weeks to experiment and try a few players and get some of those kids in that we want to see and some of those guys on last opportunities that you want to see and have the chance to tinker a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was, I I was chatting to a friend of mine um, post game. It was a painful win (laughs) Uh, just because you, you could see that they were, and Ash chatted to Dylan Moore post-game um, and Moore said that Sam Mitchell had just told him to finish off their work after halftime. And you could see that they did all the all the foundational stuff really quite well without capitalising on that hard work. And that's incredibly frustrating as a supporter. And it must be incredibly frustrating as a player. If we run through some of these stats, like the Hawks... 438 overall disposals to 378. They were eight kicks below the ruse, which is not surprising because we're a handball dominant team when we're up and going. And in that second half, we had a lot. So 227 handballs to 159. Um, 70 inside 50s to 41 is a huge disparity between the teams. Um, The efficiency inside 50 was 37.1 for us, which is down from our season average of 45.4. So it talks about some of the troubles we did have in capitalizing, but talking about the defensive setup and how well the the Hawks did defensively, the Ruse had a 22% efficiency inside 50. So there's, that's, that's half of what they normally go at. So clearly the back setup, including Frost who absolutely smashed Nick Larkey, who is a genuine quality key tool um and we'll get into players one by one but um that back setup set up um set themselves well for the day to stop any input of um like ongoing ball from the ruse midfield which were comprehensively beaten by the hawthorne midfield um clearances actually evened out over the course of the match and i think the ruse kind of got a little bit more back in that second quarter and third quarter uh, 37 to 35 in favor of the hawks 11 to six at center, which is good because uh, I think in previous weeks, we'd actually only sort of evened out at the center center clearances uh, and won the stoppage clearances. And this, this week was the other way around. Um, And, you know, overall the North played that um, chippy game and they had 107 marks to our 89, but we had nine marks inside 50 to their three. So I think that talks about that dominance where it was necessary and the the differing game styles where we like to run and handball and carry through the middle and they like to play the clerks and precision kicking, which didn't really work for them too much. Let's get into the player ratings we see. Um, this is where you shine with your rating system and don't give Will Day poor scores that he doesn't deserve. So I'm glad we're here together tonight. Um, I'm going to start. Mitch Lewis uh, had the nine disposals. He kicked three goals, one, seven kicks, two mark, uh, three marks, two handballs, and 161 metres gained. I'm going to say straight off the bat, it wasn't a dominant game by Mitch Lewis. I think Ben McKay actually played him pretty well, all things considered. Um, when Lewis tried to wrestle with McKay, McKay had him, not had him, but at least broke even with him in terms of that pure strength. Um, Lewis got a little bit of joy when he um, was out on the lead or being able to extend his arms in front of his body and use his athleticism to create some separation from Makai, who is a more solid and not as quick sort of player as Lewis is. Um, I will give him a, a six 
Um, and that's on the basis of the three goals, really. There wasn't a lot more post that to to write home about. But whenever your key forward kicks three goals in a game, he's doing what he's what he's supposed to do, right? If he does that every week and plays 20 games, he kicks 60 goals. So um, let's give him a six, unless you have any other thoughts on that one. No, what I love about Mitch Lewis at the moment is it feels like we've gone through a, like a four-week lean patch, like where he hasn't significantly impacted matches. Um, and, you know, seven kicks, three marks for Mitch Lewis, you're going to say he hasn't done much and he's had another down game. And those two goals in, in that minute or two obviously helped significantly get us on track. The, well, it changed the course of the game, didn't it, really? Changed it, especially the second goal, the kick from 50, having taken a strong grab. But you actually look at the last four weeks, I think he kicked two against Gold Coast, um, two against Carlton. Taylor held him to, to zero, which is rare uh, against the Giants. And then he's kicked three. So we say he's had a lean patch and he still kicked seven goals in the four you know, in the four games. So um, they're good signs. I think that rating just based on that couple of minute period in that third quarter was uh, spot on. Number three is Jai Newcomb. We see Jai had 33 disposals for the game, only nine kicks. And I think as one of our better kicks of the footy, um, we want to see that up a lot higher. He had 24 handballs, six marks, three tackles, seven total clearances, and uh, reflective of the lack of kicking, he had only 288 metres gained. He finished the game with one goal assist in 82% game time. Your thoughts on Jai's game today, we see. I had such a good game and obviously he played up forward a bit there are a couple of times where he was at full forward one-on-one um so as opposed to um you know will day playing significantly further behind the ball obviously they've used jai ahead of the ball and they have it have done that at times throughout the season which which is a massive weapon there are a couple of a couple of his handballs I mean, he's wearing number three, so I don't want to say the word Tom, Tom Mitchell, but there are a couple of handballs he had uh, against the Ruse in heavy traffic that went seven or eight metres clear to someone running into space. Um, and there were just a couple of those that were absolute wow moments. We know how good he's in tight. We know how good he's getting the ball out but with players all around him being able to clear a couple of players and and have someone releasing running clear, I thought was exceptional. Obviously part of that core group of mids um, that is a shining light. And I thought it was another brilliant game from him. I gave him a seven and a half. Yeah. And I, I tend to agree with that. And um, I think, you know, nine score involvements for a midfielder of his, um, of his ability to is something that you want to see. And I, I don't know, every time this young guy runs out onto the field uh, and I know I've got a soft spot for him, but every time he comes out and plays for the Hawks, I just can't believe that he's a mid season draftee. Like this is a guy that only this year is not on our rookie list. Like that's baffling to me uh, and what a pickup. And he will probably go down. I think it's fair to say as the best mid-season pickup by any club since the the mid-season draft was brought in again. 
in uh, a few years ago. It was pointed out that he's sitting 19th in the coaches voting. So a top 20 for where he's come from, where he's been. That Unbelievable. Uh, if he was drafted truly in a national draft to be sitting where he is there in the coaches' votes, how would we be talking about him yep. in redrafts? How would we be comparing him to other players? It's almost a blessing that we don't have to go through that. Yep. Um, and he just continues to grow. And uh, has he reached his ceiling yet, Andrew West? <laughs> uh, well, I know exactly who uh, who said that, but um, which makes it funnier every time I hear that person speak. Uh, I think he's got a long way to go till he reaches his ceiling. It's very yeah, exciting. Absolutely. Now, number four, Jarman Impey, um, 24 disposals, 17 kicks, seven handballs, four marks, three tackles. He kicked one goal, two. He could have had a field day, Charles. Kick one goal too, and he, the two that he missed were kickable as well. Um, he had one turnover, seven score involvements, um, f- and one clearance, but six inside fifties, three rebound fifties. So it talks about the work rate across the ground that he had: six hundred and one meters gained, which was uh, right up there with our best. Um, I thought Impy's game was again very good, and he's putting together an incredible year. He's probably sitting in. I would say the top five to seven players in Hawthorne's best and fairest German MP. And I think based on his recovery from a knee Rico um, where he was last year, I think that's an incredible effort. I give him a seven out of 10 for this game. Yeah. I, I think it's also worth noting last week against the giants. I mean, we had him in our match recap as the fallen, the fallen star. Fallen and fa- star. And- and fair enough too, right? Like rightly a- so. I mean, he potentially shouldn't have played because he had the illness throughout the week. But you can only be judged if you're out there, you're fit enough to play. And um, I don't know if that is potentially harsh because of the standard he set this season. But to come back and rebound the way that he did was exceptional. Yeah, we love our former Port Adelaide players, don't we? Love. Them. Um, Number five is uh, James Warple, and the Warpedo goes from strength to strength uh, this year. He had arguably his best game for the season, and it's been a season full of quite very good games, high-caliber high games. He had 32 disposals, 17 kicks, 15 handballs, five marks, six tackles. He kicked one goal three, and he had 13 of his possessions were... Uh, contested. He had a goal assist, 10 score involvements and seven clearances and nine inside fifties. Now talk to me about that game, Andrew Weiss, because that's, that is, those are some huge numbers when you couple it with 702 meters gained. Yeah. And I reckon if you break it down, Hawthorne put out a tweet at halftime showing his numbers where he had 19 at halftime had already kicked the goal, 550 metres gained, seven inside 50s and seven in score involvements, two half times. So, I mean, he was, for mine, our best player on the ground, um, no doubt about it. I think his season, we've, I mean, we keep talking about it every review pod, don't we? His season's been absolutely brilliant and he should just about be leading the PCM. Um, very interestingly, I started having a look and 
you know, as we do in our spare time, just uh, the mind wanders. So I started comparing averages to um, 19 and his PCM winning. There's an article in this, Andrew. Well, it's very interesting. The reason I don't want to write the article is because a lot of the spots, a lot of the stats are actually below that PCM year. So um, it potentially makes us forget just how good he was that year. Um, But also it's probably a reflection of, you know, given how low he got last season, the bounce back being so significant. So full credit to him um in just putting together a great season hopefully he can finish it off um i gave him an eight and a half or did you already rate him Have no I no the in? rating was you for there but i'd uh yeah i'd probably bump him up to a nine if it was my choice but um but hey you are you are well, you are the, let's, the man let's call it 8.75 and move to sis Sounds good. We've never had an 8.75. So we're breaking new ground here on the Hawks Insiders uh, player ratings pod. Um, moving on to Sis and James Sicily only plays in wins. That's all he, that's all he does. He doesn't bother when we're losing. He's not there. There might be something in that. There might not be. Um, but he had 17 disposals. Um, he had 11 kicks, six handballs, five marks, uh, uh, two tackles. Not much to really get into um, you know, two of his five marks were contested. He had 400 meters gained, three inside 50s, three rebound 50s. I think the story of um, the day for James Sisley was that he was tagged. Um, you know, I think it's uh, Will Ford, is it? Um, for, mm-hmm. From the Ruse who sat on him and gave Sisley attention he was not expecting. And you could see that in his uh, conversation post-match um, with the Fox footy commentators. He he was, uh, they said, oh, a bit of a quiet day for you. And he said something along the lines of, yeah, but I wasn't expecting to get that much attention. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the the Ruse had a, a semi-decent game plan to try to, we know as Hawthorne supporters, just how important Sicily is. Now we didn't need him against the Ruse because they're no good, but um, but he is so important to uh, us in big games when we need a win. So um, he was quiet by his own standards, but it was nice that he wasn't needed to be good to beat North Melbourne. So I'll give him a six out of 10, um, unless you have any compelling argument as to why it should be higher than that. No, I think that's spot on. His second half, he clearly warmed into the game a little bit more and got a lot more of it. What I love about Sicily's game is that the fact that he was so quiet actually shines more of a focus on just how good Sam Frost was. Like, we'll get to him shortly, but he didn't do what he did to Larky because Sicily took 10 intercept marks. Like he did that one-on-one and, and, and we'll get to him shortly. But I think it's a, you know, when you look at those two next to each other, um, they tell a story together. Yeah. Before we get to Sam Frost, we've just got to get over the tallest man in Hawthorne's history. Uh, Mr. Reeves, 210 centimeters and growing. Um, He had nine disposals, four kicks, five handballs, one mark. I don't know that the, the AFL app doesn't keep stats um, of dropped marks, but I think I counted at least four. Um, 
He had two tackles. He had a number of hit outs, 24 hit outs, um, and two clearances, 109 meters gained. Andrew, I'm glad you are the one that gets to hand out this rating. Off you go. Yeah, nearly had a second mark, and it was hardly his fault when Sis came. Uh, what was it about 40 out that resulted in a north goal? The spoil. Right. So I want to I want to ask you about that because I watched it on TV. Did you mm-hmm. were you there or did you watch it on TV? No, I was there. I was okay, there. so on the replay, it looks like Sisley barely makes any contact with Ned Right. Bruce. Right. And like, I was still thinking, what are you doing there, sis? Like you don't need to get involved there, but if you're Ned Reeves, you should expect contact in that situation, right? Like whether it's your own player or an opposition player, you should still take that mark. He definitely should still take that mark. But if he's been contacted by sis, sis is looking in front of himself with Ned Reeves, Ned Reeves and, no one. No else. one. Yeah. No, no it was weird. Else. It was weird by Sicily. Strange. But, but anyway, I just don't I mean, know if it should have impacted. Listen to why we're mark. talking about this. We're talking about this because he should have gone from one mark to two marks, and that's an issue. I think Ash wrote in his obs. It got to the point where when he did take that mark, uh, we all we we literally all Bronx cheered, cheered him. Yeah. That's a sad oh, state golf of clap. Affairs. Yeah. Um, and look, I mean, he's, he's halved. You, you look at the hit outs, you look at the hit out win percentage and hit out to advantage. They're fairly similar um, figures to Cherry. So, um, But surely Ned Ray should be beating Tristan Cherry. In again, a, in- again, you'd think so. I mean, I don't think we can isolate this game and talk about the issues with Reeves' performance if there was an award for, um, well, the opposite awards of most improved or um, most, uh, I don't know. like Go on backwards. I think so. Uh, he's definitely there because we were expecting a rise, maybe too high an expectation from a meteoric rise point of view, talking about him becoming one of the best rucks in the competition but you'd still expect improvement and he seems to have gone the other way and Mm. still doesn't have a tank to play a full game of footy himself. So um, yeah, I I gave him a four purely because he still did a a few nice things in the pure rucking sense, Um, but it's the same story for him every week. And I would be, um, I would be giving games to meek, one out as the sole ruckman because he seems to be able to acquit himself better at the moment doing that. I think that's definitely a talking point in greater detail for our Wednesday night safe space because we talked for a number of weeks about one ruck. We got one ruck for a week and then we brought in Max Ramsden. Now it was really unlucky that Ramsden got hit in the head by a footy and is out with concussion protocols but then to then replace him with a ruck and not just play Denver Granger Barras uh, was a really interesting move by Mitchell and the selection team and and then to go back to to two pure rucks uh, again it just didn't look like it was cohesive at all so um, that's one to discuss in greater detail on the Wednesday night safe space join us there Um, let's get to 
Sam Frost, the maligned, beleaguered defender that is Sam Frost, he actually was phenomenal in a one-on-one, pure defensive display. His stats say nothing, right? So we'll go through them. Um, But if you could pull up Nick Larkey's stats while I'm reading out Sam Frost, that'd be fantastic. Frost had eight disposals, one kick, seven handballs. Actually, that's a really good ratio for Sam Frost. Four marks. He um, had 100% disposal efficiency for his eight uh, eight disposals, which is phenomenal, which meant he had no turnovers. Um, He had two contested marks out of his four, a negative 20 meters gained, but he absolutely slaughtered um, North's only real goal threat in Nick Larkey. And for that, uh, before I throw over to you, because I can see you're itching, itching to talk about Sam Frost, I'm going to rate him a seven and a half out of 10 for um, Sunday's performance. So we see the floor is yours. Yeah. So I think that his stats do tell a story. So he's had eight touches, seven of them handballs. So um, again, we've noted there seems to have been this shift, but there's an instruction for him classic instruction that you give to your ruckman whatever you do give it to a player near you to kick it like to run past he's been doing that because of that seven and one of his possessions are 100 percent disposal efficiency uh same number of touch as of touches then as lucky so um that's definitely definitely worked and as a result, you don't have any moments of of thinking, oh, my God, what's he going to do with it? Um, so I think there has been a, a massive improvement from that point of view. And, I mean, it helps that there wasn't a second or third forward. That's where that big key monster forward, that's where the issue is going to come, where if he's doing his job on a key forward, you know, it's always that who take who's your second big defender, who's your third big defender, and how you rotate them around, depending on which forward's doing well. Um, luckily, we didn't have to worry about a second or third big forward, and he just did the job. It was just a wonderful defensive effort. I think four spoils as well, which was close to the most for us, and yeah, one of his better games. Yeah, and I think maybe James Blank's just an automatic recall to take that second, you know, big forward when, you know, better teams have them, right? Like um, he was only out this week because of that concussion protocols. But um, if it's if it's James Sicily going forward as the second key tool, that, that's where the, the cohesion in that back line falls, really, really falls away. Now, uh, Carl Amon, a big game by Carl on the weekend, named in a couple of teams of the week uh, that I saw floating around Twitter. Uh, didn't post them for various reasons. Uh, but Carl Amon had 33 disposals, 21 kicks, 12 handballs, four marks, kicked a goal, went at 85% disposal efficiency, which when you're getting it 33 times is a fair effort. Um, he had predominantly most of the ball, most of his ball uncontested, which is what you want from your wingman. I mean, not what you want, but what you get from your wingman. He had five score involvements. He had 813 meters gained, which is just ridiculous numbers. Um, Even had a clearance at the stoppage, Carl. He had eight inside fifties and four rebound fifties. 
I want to get your thoughts, Weesey, but my takeaway is, and I've been a fan of the Carl Amon um, free agency signing all year. If you go back to February, you'll see my tweets about it. Um, and got into some Twitter discourse with a friend of the show, Mackenzie Morgan, um, Morgs, on on Twitter today. But um, Carl has been great value for the Hawks all year. And this was one of his better games. And look, he should do this against a team like North Melbourne. Um, but I, 813 metres gained in any game of football is amazing, especially when you consider that these aren't kickouts from from um, behinds. These are disposals that he's getting, you know, on a halfback flank or on a wing and pumping it into the forward 50 and using it well. And I think that that's the key thing. We have a lot of youth and a lot of inexperience and having somebody on a wing who you can trust to use the ball well, going inside forward 50 is incredibly important to what we're trying to achieve with our attacking game style. And if you look at um, how the Hawks look for Carl, they look for him like old Hawks teams look for Brad Hill or Isaac Smith. They, they want to get the ball on the outside. They want to get it to Carl Amon to use it well, streaming through the middle of the ground. And I, um, I gave Carl uh, an eight and a half out of 10, uh, just under James Warple's 8.75 for this week. Um, and probably I'd say pretty clearly, if not our second, one of our two top best players in the game. So um, Weesey, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think his kicking efficiency was when at 76% which is very high. And when you consider that he's averaged around roughly 40 metres per kick and had 21 of them, that that combined is unbelievable. Um, his offensive threat to this team significant. And the fact that he can deliver is um is uh, deliver it like you always have confidence that he's going to be able to do something with it he, he's one of the best disposal um or users of the ball in our in our team and that goal that he kicked in the in the uh running through in the third quarter as well was magnificent Reasonable. yeah yeah so um yeah completely completely agree with you he's been a brilliant recruit and just adds he's the addition of class to this lineup. Yeah. And we, and we clearly need more of that polish and finish through our midfield. Our, our midfielders are workmanlike, um, you know, the Warples, the Nashes, to a lesser extent, the Newcombs and the Connor McDonald's, um, you know, they are very good, but we need, a bit more X factor. Now Connor has X factor or croc as he's been dubbed by the Hawthorne social media team, much to Darren Levine's <laughs> disgust. We'll um, still call him con. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. Um, he's on that Island by himself, but um, you know, guys like Carl Amon, guys like Josh Ward now and into the future and will day provide some of that class, but there's more needed, isn't there? Like um, this midfield's not, in its final form. And, you know, in a couple more drafts, you'd hope to get a bit more star power, a bit more, you know, game breaking type stuff that the best midfields have like ports midfield with, you know, butters and Rosie and um, 
uh, Horn Francis and, you know, Collingwood has with Nick Dacos and, and co and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we've tried to do that by identifying not just good human beings, but great users of the footy. So, you know, bring, bring Cam McKenzie in. And obviously you mentioned Josh Waters, kids who are traditionally incredible users of the football, not necessarily the Warples or Jais that you expect to have some turnovers and you expect to have the clangers, um, but they're doing that in a role um, where um, they're, they're really playing that inside tough grunting role. Um, clearly, that is not Amon's role and the polish that he brings on the outside. We haven't had since we had Isaac Smith. And even when we had Isaac Smith in the last couple of years, we were still crying for someone to get onto the other wing to fill that natural wing role. And he's done it beautifully. On to number 11, Connor Nash, um, an absolute brute of a human being. 32 disposals, 10 kicks, 22 handballs, four marks and four tackles. He had just the one turnover. He had two goal assists and nine score involvements, we see. He had the 383 metres gained, four clearances. All of them were centre clearances and nine inside 50s as well as two rebound 50s in another dominant performance by our flying Irishman. Yeah, they're the main ones for me. Nine score involvements, nine inside 50s, and having had 32 touches, he's gone at 84% disposal efficiency. So, um, you know, one of one of the knocks on him was originally ball use, even in his midfield role. And the fact that, it, you know, there are a lot of um, quick kicks out of the middle, um, get it, jam it onto the boot and get it forward. But he's become a lot more polished and on both sides of his body as well, not scared to use both sides of his body. Um, and I feel like he he faded a little bit in the middle of the of the game, which was bookended by a great opening term, a great final term. Um, yeah, he's just a joy to watch. He's become he's become one of my favourite players. Thought he was really, really good. Gave him a seven and a half. Yeah, and no, I've got nothing to add to that. I, I again, a little bit like John Newcomb. When I watch Connor Nash, I get the same. I don't know. If, prides the right word but I feel like a proud you know supporter going look at what Sam Mitchell has done with this guy who was on the scrap heap you know uh, and you know had been tried as a key defender tried on a wing had been tried as a forward and Mitchell at Box Hill turned around and said no no you're going to be an inside midfielder and it's just completely completely changed and you know we've spoken to a few people um players and um and officials at the hawks over the course of this year and to a man every single midfielder wants to play with Connor Nash and I think that speaks to who he is but also speaks to the work he does that goes unseen that doesn't show up on the stat sheet you know the 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 um really grinding out space for those um to operate within for the wheel days to operate within, you know, really blocking and stopping. And, you know, he does his own work and then he also 
works on the player that he's the opposition player is against. So um, big ups to Connor Nash and what he's turned himself into, which is an absolutely vital member of this midfield unit. Yeah, I love I love the narrative around. So you take the last few years of his story and I, I love the discussions around, is he going to be in our next premiership team? So with Connor Nash, not only is he going to be in our next premiership team, but he's going to be a key ingredient in that team. And like, just, just for those words to be coming out of my mouth, like the turnaround from a few years ago is just oh, as good as, you know, we talk about Newcomb and we talk about Dylan Moore and like, this is as good, if not better, a turnaround and story than them. So, yeah, absolutely. Because he was on, he was on track with Connor Glass to be, you know, sent back to Ireland at one stage. And, um, you know, for him to be where he is, it's just, it's just incredible. Anyway, speaking of incredible, uh, Mr. Incredible himself, Will Day, had 28 disposals, six, uh, 12 kicks, 16 handballs, four marks, seven tackles, went at 86% disposal efficiency. He had four score involvements. He had 345 metres gained. He had three clearances, three inside 50s, two rebound 50s, and uh, attended the centre bounce only 11 times for the game. So, um my initial thoughts were Will was, again, very, very good. He was one of our top pressure act getters. That's not the right word, but whatever. Um, top top um, attractors of pressure acts in our team um, and worked diligently in, around, and outside the contest all day. Again, he uses the ball really, really well when he gets the opportunity. Um, doesn't matter with it's by whether it's by hand or either foot. Um, and just has that class. I think we've spoken on numerous occasions, we see about how he navigates his way through traffic and how he has a little bit of that Scott Pendlebury like time slows down for him when everybody else seems to be struggling and he just kind of takes it two steps forward, one step back, and he's out of trouble. And you're like, how did he do that? Um, and his weaponry or his arsenal of, of exiting contests is just growing by the week. And uh, I gave him a seven and a half out of 10. I thought he was really, really good. And building another build another one of those midfielders who's building a serious, serious case for a PCM tilt. Yeah, he's our marquee. He's our marquee player. He's the one that could be the best player in this group. What I'd love to see in the next six weeks is, you know, and it might be one of the games to, in the last couple of rounds, I'd love him to, him to play 80 to 90% of a game in the middle. Let him to go to every other contest in the middle, every centre bounce attendance, Let's see him have a full game as a midfielder. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that we will, but I seem to come away from every game wishing. Wanting more. Wanting more of him in the yeah. middle because when he is in there. Good stuff happens. Good stuff happens. Amazing. Yeah. I'm I'm absolutely with you. I'd love to see. I, I want to see a, I want to see Will Day grab a game by the scruff of the neck 
and just make it his, you know, where he comes away with 34 disposals and three goals, something like that. And he's absolutely got that within his capabilities. Um, and I just want to see him have like a, you know, that Marcus Bontempelli type midfield dominance that, you know, you can see is just around the corner. If he can have one of those games for between now and the end of the year, I, I don't know about everybody else, but for, as a fan, as a pure fan, I'm salivating about what, Will Day can do with another preseason. But we need to move on because, you know, we're, I'm only allowed to speak about Will Day for a certain period of time and I've reached my allocation for tonight. Uh, more, more on this on Wednesday in our safe, in our safe space. Uh, Dylan Moore, 27 disposals, eight kicks, 19 handballs, five tackles. He led our team. No, he was second in our team in pressure acts with 23. Um, I'll, I've got a question for you without looking at the stats in a minute. Uh, we see who, who led the Hawks in pressure acts altogether. Um, do not look it up, um, but was very good without being super clean Dylan Moore. And this is probably the story of his season. The endeavor is fantastic. Sometimes the execution, not as good, not as reflective of the effort. He still had two goal assists and six score involvements uh, and had two tackles inside 50 and three inside fifties for himself. So your thoughts, your immediate takeaways on Dylan Moore, please, Andrew. It was good to listen to him. Uh, and obviously that interview after the game, I'd say the only knock on him was his inability to actually hit the scoreboard. Uh, and having said that, he set up uh, quite a few opportunities for others. So um it's it's a catch twenty two um, because he was still doing the right team stuff and and he ad admitted that himself after the game. Um, it was a solid solid day without going. Oh my god! Like Dylan Moore, that's back to the form we saw um, from well, previously from last year. Um, but it was still a solid outing. I gave him a six and a half um, to answer your question i'm gonna take a stab and say uh, this is about pressure acts um hand on heart haven't looked connor mcdonald oh you're close you're close connor mcdonald was just behind connor mcdonald had 22 which is one less than dylan moore i'll give you one more guess before we move on because this isn't good radio <laughs> uh, lucky they can just hit the skip ahead 30 second button <laughs> um uh no nah, hit me with it tyler brockman hmm. oh, yeah that's... i thought it was really interesting too he had 25 so he was too clear of dylan moore and i think that's a really good sign as a small forward and we'll get onto brocky a little bit later but that's what you want with your small the fact that it was a gameplay predominantly in the middle and our sort of half forward. And we had Dylan Moore, Connor McDonald, Tyler Brockman as our top pressure act players is, is really, really indicative of that. Um, I guess what Sam Mitchell was trying to create anyway, <clears throat> moving on to Jack Scrimshaw. Um, Jack had, uh, I thought a really solid game he bounced back from um you know maybe a, a down week 23 disposals 11 kicks 12 handballs eight marks he had 
five score involvements. One of his marks was contested, 257 metres gained. So um, wasn't pumping it forward as often as he might have liked. He had two inside 50s and two rebound 50s. But I think he was part of the reason why the Hawks were set up behind the ball so well. He um, he saw that Sicily was being played one out and sort of assumed some of that responsibility. He impacted contests uh, where he needed to. He took his own marks against his own um, opposition player where he needed to. And he generally used the ball pretty well. He went at 74% disposal efficiency. So um, it wasn't an incredible game by Jack, but uh, it's a it's a six and a half out of 10 for me. And I think a, a really solid showing. Yeah. So clearly for me, his best game of the season. And I, I mean, this was the old Jack Scrimshaw he led the ground, every player on the ground for intercept possessions with nine. Uh, and he led everyone for intercept marks as well with five. So, you know, that that was classic scrimmer coming back with the flight, reading the play. Um, and again, we talked about, I talked about Sicily and the effects that um, he would normally have on front. I mean, Scrimshaw played as much of a Sicily-based role, cutting everything off across half back. Um, that obviously helped out as part of that defensive unit. So I thought it was one of his better games. And um, yeah, I mean, you can channel your inner Daz and rate however you like. Uh, I thought he did. Really, no, really I, well. I, I, I'm going to see, and this is where I am uh, happy to admit when I may have undersold, um, based on the addition of the intercept possessions and marks, which are a huge indicator of um, the way that you're reading the play off the opposition boot um, and the importance of the the game that he played and, the, and how he contributed to the team structure defensively. Uh, I'm going to bump him up to a 7.5. Uh, and I, and I think, uh, I think scrim was very good and I've just undersold him. So I apologize, Jack, when you listen to this, um, moving he does on, listen, we know that he does listen. Absolutely. Why wouldn't he? Uh, number 15, Blake Hardwick, um, uh, another, uh, unassuming, but really um, solid, solid performance by Dima. He had nine kicks, eight handballs, six marks, four tackles, went at 88% disposal efficiency, um, had two score involvements. Uh, one of his six marks was contested. He had seven rebound 50s uh, and six one percenters. And, you know, we normally talk about Blake Hardwick and we say, well, you know, how many kick-ins did he have? But he only had one of those. So, um, you know, he earned in inverted commas, you know, 16 of those 17 disposals. And, uh, and I thought shut down his man and, and just did a really, really sound job. What were your thoughts on Hardwick's game? Uh, we see. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. He had four spoils as well, which is, which is significant because um, like Screamer and, and what you just mentioned, he's such a good reader of the play and he rarely gets beaten when there's an overhead marking contest. So you're always back in to make it regardless of, of who the player is up in front of him. So um, I thought he had a really, really decent game. One of few 
I think there were four individual players to get specific shout outs from Sammy in his press conference. And he happened to be one of them. So um, is this, is he um, a player that I'm supposed to be rating or was that uh, you? Yeah, it's it's you. Yeah, you go. Uh, I'll give him a seven, solid seven, good performance. I'll accept that seven. Uh, Lloyd, Lloyd me. Lloyd Meek had 10 disposals, three kicks, seven handballs, one mark, two tackles. He had three turnovers, one score involvement, 104 metres gained, two clearances, 15 hit outs, and three one percenters. He only attended seven centre bounces, uh, and he attended 37 ruck contests for only 15 hit outs. So we know with Lloyd Meek that he is not as good in the ruck contests as Ned Reeves is, but I think he gives the Hawks a lot more around the ground than Ned Reeves does. So these uh, stats maybe don't necessarily necessarily reflect it, um, but I think we would see the best of Lloyd Meek if he was played as a number one pure f- Ruckman and not being asked to play as a key forward like he was at times again on the weekend. I'm going to rate Meek a five. He's going to scrape in for a pass. I thought he was better than Reeves. I didn't think he dropped multiple easy marks like Reeves did. And yes, he didn't have the same impact in the ruck. Um, but I also think that the Hawks ask a lot more from a versatility standpoint from Meek than they do from Reeves. And um, I think I would like to see, and I think you touched on this before, I would like to see them give Meek the same, afford Meek the same opportunities as a number one ruck, solo ruck, as they have with Ned Reeves. Because whenever it comes to, we're only going to carry one ruck, that one ruck is Ned Reeves and Lloyd Meek drops back to the reserves. And I think if that happens again, the, the roles need to be reversed and we need to see Reeves rucking at Box Hill. Your thoughts on that, Weezy? Yeah, I feel like he played a lot more ruck in the second half and used less as a forward target. And and I think he had a much better second half than first half. He's just not a forward, is he? He's not. And, and it's shades of, I mean, big boy could take a mark and kick a goal. But I've got no doubt in my mind he was he, he was so much of a better sole ruckman to ruck 90% of a game than try and bring that down to a 60-40 with someone else. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've just seen what's happened with Max Gorn and Brody Grundy. Like, they're both pure rucks as well as opposed to forwards the resting role in the forward has overtaken resting on the interchange bench, but it's only designed to be chop outs here and there, not a 50-50 split. And I've got no doubt that similar to McAvoy, Meek will be best served playing more game time in the ruck. It's, It's a really big headache that they've still got plenty of time to work out. They're young but if the rest of the group continues to develop at the rate that they have over the next 12 months, it could become a serious headache if they don't sort it out. 
Definitely. And speaking of headaches that need sorting out, and this is not a reflection of Chad Wingard, but just what his position is on this list going into season 2024. Chad had 18 disposals, 13 of those were kicks, five handballs, six marks, four tackles, kicked two behinds, didn't kick a major. He went at 56% disposal efficiency. Um, had three goal assists and six score involvements, uh, 302 meters gained. Um, all four of his tackles were inside 50, which is a uh, criticism we've had of Chad in the past, where his defensive pressure hasn't been that good. Um, was definitely better on the weekend and had three inside 50s himself. So um, my turn to rate Chad, I believe. Um, and I'm going to just, say I thought he was solid without being spectacular. Um, I love your thoughts being there to see what sort of impact you thought he had. I thought he just went, um, but found a bit more of the ball than he has in previous outings. I, I think uh, a five and a half out of 10 is all I'd give Chad. And it was, it wasn't noteworthy. I would probably have taken Tyler Brockman's 11 disposals over Chad's uh, 18. Yeah, there's probably two specific things that um, that concern me about this performance. One is that he kicked the two behinds. I think one was a shot from about 47 or 48 that just came off hands on the goal line, so actually struggled to make the different distance. And the other, correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, uh, under no pressure, maybe 35-metre snap. Um, like almost directly in front that he missed or on a slight angle that he missed. So if he kicks those two goals and we're talking about two goals and 18 touches and six marks. That's very different, isn't it? It's a good shift. So, so that's the first aspect. The second is like we watched him really, really closely and there were so many times where there was just a lack of effort so there wasn't the chase. I mean, there were other times where there was like, like a couple of really good chase downs, tackles, putting on that pressure. But there were also, you know, a good half a dozen times where the ball came out from north so easily and he was just walking or like it, it came past him and, and like we just looked at that in amazement one of the guys next to me at how like there was just a lack of intensity and you get away with that when you're winning every game and you're kicking a couple of goals every game and you're still that X factor. But oh, I wonder how much of that sort of tape gets looked at when they're taking into account how far they can carry him into potentially next season. Absolutely. Um, speaking of guys who are closer to the end than the, the beginning, Luke Bruce at 32 years of age um, still just gets the job done in front of goals. He had only the seven disposals, a bit like Mitch Lewis, didn't have a lot of it. Four kicks, three handballs, one mark, two tackles, but he kicked three goals, one, probably should have kicked four, to be honest. Um, had two turnovers, had four score involvements, um, just the 91 metres gained. Didn't do much else in the stat sheet other than that. But um, again, every time we get to this point, we have a chat about Luke Bruce, who is clearly aging and clearly slowing down. 
but the man kicked another three goals. Um, if he's kicking three goals every week, you're not worried too much about what he does across the rest of it, are you? Um, so uh, I uh, will defer to you, Andrew Weiss, for a rating and your thoughts on Luke Bruce. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's too much else to add. He kicked 1-1 one, one in the first quarter. He kicked two goals in the last. Um, but you feel safe when he's got it, especially when he's got it and he's getting into a position of, of snapping. He did, I mean, I did notice he did um, get caught holding the ball a couple of times, trying to... I feel like that's happening more often. I agree. And if he's kicking three goals and one or two of them are a, a snap as a result of doing that, then it's okay. Um, if he stops kicking the goals and that's happening, I mean, they're just easy turnovers. Um, it's possibly a watch this space, but he did his role. He didn't get that much of it otherwise, but he kicked those three goals. Um, I gave him a six out of 10. Now, number 24, Denver Granger Barras, six disposals, four kicks, two handballs, three marks. He kicked a goal. He was only on for 40 minutes out of 120. So, um, you know, a third of the game uh, replaced Fergus Green as the sub. Always interesting when you put on a key position player as your sub, because if you lose a midfield rotation, I think you're in trouble. Uh, It just so happened that Fergus hurt his knee and um, couldn't shake off that knee injury that he got early in the first quarter, uh, came off and was replaced by Granger Barras. Um, Don't need to speak on on DJB too much, but looked, looked lively without having too much of an impact on the game overall, kicked a nice goal, um, you know, for a sub, I'd be giving him a five for that performance in limited game time. Your thoughts, Weesey? Yeah, I think purely because of the game time and maybe it's because of the, the previous, um, stances we've taken being on the give him time bandwagon, but I was excited enough with what I saw. He took that other mark kicking from deep in the pocket about 50 out and it slid across the face, didn't register a score. But if he's having, you know, playing a full game up forward and having four or five shots at goal, that's pretty good as his second second key forward. It's probably better than what we've had from anybody else this year, isn't it? So, um, all right, moving on, moving on to Josh Ward. Uh, Really keen to hear your thoughts on Josh Ward. 28 disposals, 15 kicks, 13 handballs, five marks, when a shade under 80% disposal efficiency, five score involvements, 460 metres gained, four clearances, um, two inside 50s and three rebound 50s. Uh, and had six center bounce attendances. Your your um, Ward is one of those ones who uh, divides opinion a little bit. A lot of people think that he's just a meat and potatoes footballer, like simple sea ball, get the ball, use the ball nicely, sideways kicks, blah, 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 blah. I see him as just playing at a foundational level right now, Weesey, and I feel like he's going to go from strength to strength. I'm really interested to see your take on Josh Ward in general and specifically how he played this game out. Yeah, well, I mean, I scratched my head at some of the negativity around Josh Ward. Like he's 19. Played 25 games. 
19 years old, played 25 games. And what I love, I, I mean, because he's got it, he's going to be a great footballer. He's going to play 250 games as long as he's injury free and, and potentially more is these guys that we're talking about as a group. So Will Day and Josh Ward and Connor McDonald um, and even Josh Weddle now add Cam McKenzie into it. Like these are guys that I reckon will have different patches or pockets of times where we go, he could be the best of all of them. And then for the next four weeks, it'll be the next guy. Somebody else, yeah. Yeah. And, and, And that's what I reckon we'll get from him. So it doesn't have to be right now, but when you're contributing with 28 touches um, and using it well, um, there seems to be a knock on his ball use as well of being slow to get rid of a decision-making, but he's actually very precise. He doesn't have to be the one that has 800 metres gained. Leave that to the Amons and the Newcombs and the Warpools when he when he has it you feel like he's going to find someone with it um and i think he just takes care in his disposal i think sometimes people mistake the fact that he won't just take the rush option with his slow in his decision making i just think he wants to choose the right option so he'll take the time needed to make sure he does that regardless of what that option is and as long as he's not getting caught that's totally fine um absolutely but- but yeah, I'm I'm big raps for Josh Ward and love where he fits into that cluster of mids that, like I said, we're going to be rotating through who the flavor of the month is. Absolutely. Let's get through Fergus Green. Um, didn't last, it lasted a half basically. Six disposals, three kicks, three handballs, three marks, uh, kicked a behind, probably a goal he should have kicked. A, de- a goal he definitely would have kicked if it was a Box Hill City Oval. Um, just putting that on the on the tape. He had three in score involvements, uh, one mark inside 50, 93 metres gained. Um, bit of a dirty day for Fergus. Um, just, I don't know what we're asking him. Without without Ramsden as that second ruck, uh, second ruck slash tall forward and not playing Denver Granger Barras. So you're basically asking a 186 centimeter sort of semi-small leading forward to be your second tall forward. It's just not something that's conducive to allowing Fergus Green to do what he does best. He needs to be um, the third tall, um, sort of almost a small, small forward. And uh, unless we start supporting him in the way that he needs to be supported to survive, to, to thrive, not just survive. Um, you may as well just play him at Box Hill. That's how I see it. And that's not a slight on Fergus Green. It's more a slight on our team selection. Um, and, you know, I, I'll give Fergus a, a four. I didn't think he was very good um, before, even, you know, before or after he got hurt. Um, but I also don't think it's his fault as much as it, you know, it could be with others. Yeah, the difficulty is going to be, so we had high hopes at the start of the season about him replacing Jack Gunston and being a younger version of Jack as that third, maybe sort of leading up up, up to half forward type forward um, to complement the others. Obviously, at times he's had to play out of position 
um, because of our forward structure. But it, it's a tough one because the balance is you talk about sending him to Box Hill. What did he kick? 50, 53, 20 last year for Box Hill. So we know how good he can be and should be and will be at Box Hill. So he's kind of in that twilight zone, that the Harry Morrison twilight zone, right, of um, potentially becoming a player that's too good for Box Hill. Yeah, it's the Dan Howe Memorial zone, I think, is the zone you're looking for. That's um, it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I think you're right. I think, look, probably ultimately – this sounds disrespectful. It's definitely not intended that way, but Fergus Green is probably a placeholder for somebody else to come in and take that position. Um, you know, he gets a, a shot at his, um, you know, at his dream playing at an AFL club for the second time. Um, but it should be Sam Butler in time that comes and takes that spot. It should be Max Ramson that comes and takes that spot. It should be Brandon Ryan or um, whoever we draft in this year's draft that comes and takes Fergus Green's spot. But until they're commanding their spots in in this team, you know he's a, he's a he's a viable a viable placeholder in that spot. And for those playing at home, the Dan Howe Memorial Zone is the zone reserved for those who are too good to play for Box Hill, but not good enough to play for the North Melbourne Seniors. I, he must be injured because I didn't see Dan Howe at VFL level for North against Box Hill either. I reckon oh, just go with it. I reckon he'd be in Clarkson and Ratton's team is what I'm saying. Probably, probably. Old Crazy Eyes was there in round three. I bet you he comes back late in the season. Anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on, uh, another one of those uh, plethora of young quality midfielders and one of, I know, your favourites, Andrew Weiss, Connor McDonald. Um Con or Croc had 12 kicks, 15 handballs, three marks, two tackles, one goal, one. He had the 22 pressure acts. Uh, he had a goal assist and six score involvements, 370 meters gained and four inside fifties. Tell me about Connor McDonald's game on the weekend. As my daughter is, uh, is constantly saying for, um, for superstar male actors that she's interested in at the moment, swoon. <laughs> I love, I love Connor McDonald. There's I some love, swagger there, isn't there? Uh, you talk about X Factor, and you've said, Princey, like we haven't even seen him play as a mid. Like we haven't even seen him play as a true mid, but what he's doing forward of the ball. Um, he was great in the first quarter. I think he had a really quiet second quarter, but then came to life again in the second half where um, Ash has pointed it out on several occasions. He seems to be the player that is going stronger than anyone towards the end of, of the last quarter of game. So he's running out games beautifully and, um, yeah, there, there are still a couple of moments where he misses a target and and um, it doesn't necessarily match up with that expectation when the ball gets into his hand. But again, you talk about age, you talk about experience, and then you match that up with what he's currently doing. And yeah, he's, he's one of that group that I was talking about that um, I, I think Ash has also talked of him being the Jordan Lewis 
of this group. Like he's not necessarily going to be your Hodge or Mitchell, but he's going to be part of that group that just adds an extra dynamic. And um, yeah, I, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. I gave him a seven and a half. Uh, another player that I thought um, backed up last week's phenomenal performance tagging Josh Kelly with another fantastic performance was Finn McGuinness. There are always, and there will always be question marks on Finn's place in the team because he doesn't often get a lot of the ball. And then when he does, he often doesn't use it incredibly well today or Sunday. He had 19 disposals, seven kicks, 12 handballs, four marks. He kicked a point. He went at 90% disposal efficiency um had a goal assist and seven score involvements as well as playing tagging roles on a number of north players including the red hot harry sheasel after the first half and keeping him to i think two or three disposals in the quarter that he played on him so from my perspective that is all we can ask from finn mcginnis at this stage of his career he had near on 20 touches did a shutout, did multiple shutout jobs on North Melbourne players and um, was actively involved in um, our forward attack. So um, I'm going to give Finn McGuinness a seven and a half out of 10. And I thought he was fantastic on the weekend. We see, do you have anything to add to that? No, it was, it was fantastic. And again, another story of, you know, even through the whole first half of this year, almost getting ready to write him off in terms of where's his spot when you look across that midfield unit. Um, But it's a good lesson in, it's just way too early with this group to, to write any of the youngsters off. And there's clearly a role for him really, really looking forward to the Collingwood game and hoping that he goes to, to Nick Dacos to see what he can do. That'd be so good. I know in our WhatsApp group, Brad um, suggested that he'll go to Shea Bolton next week. Um, I don't necessarily think he's a good matchup for Shea Bolton. Um, I think he's a bit too robotic in his movements, whereas Bolton's a bit too slippery, a bit too fluid of an athlete. I think Tim Taranto is the man. If he's going to shut somebody out, he's got the strength and the body shape and the tank and the athletic power to go one-on-one with Tim Taranto. I would love to see that battle next week. Yeah, the, the only the only issue with that is you look at every um every centre bounce or every the, the way we match up at every centre bounce at the moment and you look at the three mids that are in there and it's that Yeah, no, I'd be doing what he did. If yep. if Taranto's playing true in the middle, I don't want him standing next to I, him in the middle. So, I'd rather have Nash next to him. Yeah, absolutely. So my my suggestion there would be, and Mitchell's done this with Finn previ- previously, is he starts on a wing or a half back, um, and he actually goes to him post the the center bounce, and so he's not he doesn't match up on Taranto in the center bounce. You probably have Connor Nash do that, play that role, but as soon as that bounce is bounced, then he goes straight to him and he plays on him around the ground at the stoppages, so on and so forth. And I think that that would be a really interesting matchup one-on-one. And it's something Mitchell's done with Finn previously where he hasn't started him in the center square. Um, and and he doesn't deserve to start in the center square. There are midfielders that have done that job all year that should absolutely continue to do that job. Anyway, Tyler Brockman, 11 disposals, five kicks, six handballs, four marks, five tackles, a goal, 91% disposal efficiency, um, 
four score involvements, no goal assists, uh, three tackles inside 50, two inside 50s, and two one percenters to go with his 25 pre- um, pressure acts. What were your thoughts on Tyler's game? And is this a case of Brockman just sort of goes at this sort of 75% where you just kind of a little bit in the same vein as Will Day midfield minutes, you're like, give me more, give me more, give me more. But this is more from a give me more output, please, Tyler, because everything you do looks pretty good. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you want to see more. And I mean, reading purely off the stat sheets, you're thinking, well, if you can turn those 11s into 17s or 18s. and But he's had five tackles. He's had the pressure axe. He's had the set shot that he's kicked truly. So he's he's kicked his goal. Um, you know, we we talk about Cyril and the fact that he didn't need to have 20. He need to be kicking two or three goals, the the pressure and being part of a structure that locked the ball in the forward line that crumbed at ground level was significant enough to hold his spot in the team. So um I think it's just about experience and continuing to build that experience. And hopefully, hopefully we hear him um, signing a contract renewal soon. Cause you know, Brad talks about it a lot. He he's an absolute X factor and key ingredient in our forward line. Speaking of X factor on the other end, up the other end of the field, um, fan favorite, Josh Weddle. Just the 14 disposals, I think 17 crazy runs included in those 14 disposals where he runs around you're like, Josh, what are you doing? What what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, but just a, a bundle of energy, pure chaos. Uh, he had eight kicks, six handballs, four marks, um, two turnovers, five score involvements, 407 metres gained and five inside 50s playing off a halfback flank. And didn't get a lot of the ball, but is there a player on Hawthorne's list at the moment that generates the same level of excitement with ball in hand as Josh Weddle? No, and you've missed the most important stat. He had four bounces. Um, Sorry, my bad. (laughs) Do you know what? I actually almost, it would almost be good for him to be pinged for running too far because how many times? He got so close, didn't he? How many times he just like bounce it or get rid of it or um, time is impeccable on his bounces. Yeah, but you know what? Like he's got a body that makes you feel even when he goes on on one of those runs. If he gets caught, he's going to break it, it yeah. and, and get rid of it. So absolutely, he's just um, you know, again we talk about age, we talk about number of games. But his body profile uh, and the, the the thought process around the fact that he's only going to keep developing and growing, he's the great unknown in terms of what could he become. And he's almost that direct opposite to Conor McDonald. Like Conor McDonald is the flash and pizzazz and silk and Josh Weddle's just like the, the workman but also like power and explosion. And uh, uh, I haven't, I, I don't know what his ceiling is to be perfectly honest. I, I think, I think Josh Weddle 
potentially has the highest ceiling of any player on Hawthorne's list. Um, That's very and, exciting. And 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 the most exciting part about that is nobody knows, I think, including Sam Mitchell, what area of the field he ends up in. You know, that's nuts. He could be a key defender. He might be a back pocket. He might play off a wing. He might be an inside midfielder. Like, we just don't know. We really don't know. Um, and I think that that's incredibly exciting and, and something that, you know, is just worth keeping an eye on over the next six weeks and also the next three years, because I think he's going to probably progress to a wing next year um, and, you know, might play some time as a third key forward. Who knows? And in the spirit, in the spirit of um, summoning, summonsing in Daz's spirit, what, what rating do you give him, Princey? Uh, six and a half out of 10. Uh, and I reckon I give him a six and a half out of 10 more for the flashes of brilliance, as opposed to the uh, amount of possessions and the amount of times that he got it. Um, you know, yeah, I, I could watch that kid play, um, a lot, a lot of football and hopefully we get to do that over the next 10 to 12 years. We see, um, we will just quickly touch on our coaches, our, the coach, our coach, Sam Mitchell, um, thought he had other than some questionable team selection options going into the game. I thought he set the team up really well defensively had the midfield humming when it needed to. It's not his fault. Our forwards and mids didn't kick well at goal early in the game. And the game could have been blown, blown out by quarter time. If we had a kick straight um, all in all, I think a really solid coaching performance and um, something to build on going into the game against Richmond next week. We see. Yeah. Like, again, we talk about perspective. This is a team that's one spot below us on the ladder. And if we kick straight, we win by a hundred to 120 mm -hmm. points. So, I mean, there was so many times you watch North Melbourne and just looking at what they were doing with the ball in the back line going, these guys have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. There's no um, glaring game plan. They're, they're not um, on the same page with what they're supposed to do with it, with their structures, with the, they were just out there to play. Yep. And yeah, it was head, it was headless chook stuff. They're 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 a rudderless ship at the moment. And I, look, understanding full well why Alistair Clarkson isn't currently manning the fort. Um, Brett Ratton in his post match presser looked dispirited and disinterested. Um, looked a shell of the man that he was when he was an assistant under Clarkson at Hawthorne the first time round. Um, and <clears throat> it's just really really hard to. Um, go forward as a club when there's this air of uncertainty about Clarkson, his ability to coach, I would say, and his capacity to be able to coach. Um, so, you know, like, does he have the desire to step back into it full time? If he does, great. That's good for them. But then the question I have is also, does he have the ability to continue to do it in an ever evolving football landscape, I'm, I'm not convinced that he does. So there's some serious questions at North Melbourne. And I think you put it in our WhatsApp group, group really early in the game. 
say what you want about Hawthorne, but thank goodness we're not North Melbourne. Yeah, look, couldn't happen couldn't happen to a, a better club. I think that's 16 years in a row we finish above them. It was like 14 of the last 18 games we've won. And I think if that extends even further to something like 17 out of 22 or something like that. So, you know, they're our bunnies. It's always good to know that no matter how you, you look at the last few years, no matter how bad it's got, we're not North. Um, and yeah, they've got, they've got some serious decisions to make, maybe relocating to uh, to Tasmania or something like that. But thank goodness we're not them and we're, we're clearly trending in a different direction. That we are. That'll be it for the Player Ratings Podcast. We have gone was that way, 30, 35 way minutes. That is not 35 minutes. Anyways. An hour and. An hour. And uh, we are going to get wrapped on the knuckles by Ashley Brown tomorrow when he sees this come out. But the people asked for it. We delivered. There's doesn't matter where you're driving from and to at work tomorrow. This podcast is going to make your morning. So um, we will say goodbye on that note. Thank you so much to Andrew Weiss. Thank you to Yes, Weesey, before we go, what would you like to say? Just a reminder to everyone, because the Matildas are playing on Thursday night, we're going to stick with a Wednesday night safe space this week before reverting back to the usual Thursday night slot the week after. Yeah, fantastic. So coming up this week uh, for the Hawks Insiders, if you haven't already, please go back and listen to our Dylan Moore chat with Ash Brown. Check out our recap. That was incredibly well done. Um, That went out uh, on Monday morning. This will be out on Tuesday morning. We'll have our spaces on Wednesday. We've got an article coming up. Uh, on the pros and cons of Brody Grundy. I might put together an article on Carl Amon. Um, we shall see. Um, but we look forward to you joining us on Wednesday night in the Hawks Insiders Wednesday night safe space. As Weesey said, we're sticking with Wednesday nights for the foreseeable future while the Matildas go for World Cup glory. Um, and we will see you there for plenty of listener interactions. Until then, have a great night and we'll chat to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews, and so much more.